Hey everybody, we're back to talk about the red hot Utah Jazz. It's a Salt City Hoops podcast. I'm Dan Clayton. Ken Clayton is on the other end of this uh, connection, ready to talk about a jazz team that has won six in a row. Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Not quite as well as the Jazz, but uh, pretty good. Yeah, not you haven't won six straight of anything recently. No, I've I've had a few losses in there, but uh, that's okay. Ah, all right. Um, they haven't. It's been an impressive. Uh, it's been an impressive run here of late for Utah. They um, beat the champs at home. Then they beat the Detroit Pistons on national TV. The next night, Orlando on the second half of a back-to-back. They went and won a come-from-behind game over the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix. Another come-from-behind game at Dallas, and then Saturday night capped that off uh, with a win over Indiana. George Hills. Former team, a wire-to-wire win over Indiana, I might add. Um, the Pacers never led in that. A lot of impressive things about that six-game streak. I know it's been a minute since we've spoken, Ken, or at least since we've spoken on one of these. So just your overall thoughts about the streak and kind of what's most impressive um, for for the Jazz com- coming off of a six-game streak. Uh, most impressive thing for me has got to be, I don't know, depth slash the big three. So the big three have been pulling through and winning these games. And the big three, in my opinion, as we've talked about, it's been a month now, but uh, Rudy Gobert, Gordon Hayward, George Hill, those guys have been huge in these recent games and the come from behind games. You know, you can look at the stats that Gobert has put up in the last few days. Hayward's been doing it for two or three weeks. And George Hill kind of came up even bigger than normal last night against Indiana. So uh, taking it to his old team a little bit, even though he told everybody it was just another game. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you you raise a good point about about those three in particular. So Gordon Hayward won the Player of the Week honors. So so Player of the Week honors are for games played from a Monday through a Sunday. So based on the first three games in the Jazz's win streak, Gordon won Player of the Week. I think that there's a case that could be made that um, Rudy Gobert could win. I don't think he will win because Kawhi Leonard had games of 34, 34, and 41. Um, and also the Spurs had a 3-1 week. But Rudy's number, I, I think it's like, um, I was looking last night, it's like 21-17 and 17 he averaged with three blocks. He had that 27 and 25 game, the only such game in the NBA this season. Um, so I, it, it would speak to exactly what you're saying if the Jazz were to um, have back-to-back different players of the week recognized for really, uh, you know, largely the same body of work because I think that's what that streak has produced. Yeah, and when I want to talk about the big three, I think the depth has been huge too because there have been huge contributions by other guys too. Uh, I, the, the first two guys I thought of were. Joe Johnson, who's had some key moments, not he's not playing start to finish, you know, at an all-star level, but he's had some key moments that have helped the team out in some of these come from behind games. Joe Ingles <laughs> seems to be able to dial up a three in the fourth quarter when it's most needed. And not that he's doing poorly any other time, but that's when, when at this point, when he gets the ball in three-point range in the fourth quarter, I just about start to tally it up. <laughs> and then I scrolled, I scrolled back up and I've forgotten him because he's been out the last few games, but Rodney Hood had a 27 point game not too long ago. Uh, 
so it's it's been coming from all different places, but certainly the big three are leading the charge and and taking the contributions from the other guys, you know, when they're needed. Yeah, the the big three and and at times, you know, the big four. I was actually laughing because um, Joe Ingles Instagrammed a, a picture this weekend of. George Hill, Gordon Hayward, Rudy Gobert, and then Joe's in the picture too, and he's kind of patting George on the head after a big play. And I almost tweeted that out with the ironic um, caption, Core 4, because it just sort of has felt that way of late. And, um, you know, I did a thing of a week and a half ago, the Salt City 7 was really Joe-focused because I, I used the big story portion to talk about how, um, you know, just how good he's been and, and how he's been really, um, hands down, I think, the Jazz's best non-starter. And you could also argue that he's been better than certainly Favors and maybe even Hood on the macro. Um, I mean, his his clutch true shooting, to your point about just go ahead and count any ball that he throws towards the hoop in the fourth quarter, like his clutch true shooting is still over 100% for the season. So yeah. he's uh, he's just been remarkable. That's been fun to watch. So um, is there a game in that stretch that sort of impressed you most or more than others? Or I would probably have to go with the start at the beginning with the Cleveland game because they came out and they took it to a great team. Many of the games since then, I think they've had some of those moments where either they're playing down to the competition or the competition is really after them because I don't think a lot of these games uh, should have been as close as they were. Uh, Orlando, Phoenix, and Dallas were... Um, you know, certainly more nail biters than they needed to be, but uh, they came away with the win, so you know, good for them. Uh, uh, so I'd have to go with that Cleveland game. That's the one where I feel like they it was still a fight, but then they won it relatively decisively at an eight point win. Yeah, and I and I think if I you know it's that was a week and a half ago. Yeah. Um, but I think actually, wow, almost two weeks ago, we're recording this on the 22nd. That game was played on the 10th. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, I I do like that one. I also just felt like the Dallas game was um, just the the poise throughout to not freak out when Dallas, a veteran team, kept coming at them and and Dallas kept trying to make it a physical game and an intense game. And I kept saying that that was going to favor the Mavericks and. Um, and the Jazz just kept their head through it, which I thought was really impressive, especially since neither team had a lead of more than four points in the entire fourth quarter in overtime. So, you know, 17 straight minutes where you're just playing intense possession-by-possession possession basketball on another team's court, a team that's been in those situations, a team that knows how to play. Um, and, yeah, I get where their record is, but to me that one was um, – almost as impressive as beating the champs. Uh, obviously that, you know, the Cleveland game is one that if you can't get up for that one, and it sounds like Quinn had a, had a good game plan and had his guys prepared. So, um, I, but I think really those two kind of stand out to me as the two that I would have understood had the jazz lost them given all those circumstances. Yeah. But fortunately they didn't. <clears throat> they didn't. Which puts them now at uh, let's see twenty nine right twenty nine and twenty nine and sixteen tied with the Clippers now for number four spot in the Western Conference and presumably the Clippers are going to be dipping a little bit with the loss of Chris Paul although I hear Blake Griffin is uh, his comeback is right around the corner it sounds like 
Which brings us to an interesting question because <laughs> it would kind of be hard to for Western Conference coaches um, who now are responsible for picking the seven reserves for the All-Star team. The five starters, of course, will be Steph Curry, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and Kevin Durant. Um, the coaches now need to vote by Wednesday night on who the um, on who the seven reserves will going to be, and it would be kind of weird if they overlooked a twenty nine and sixteen team that's currently fourth in the Western Conference. So let's spend a little bit talking about um, uh, about the Jazz and whether we think that they'll get an All Star for the first time since two thousand eleven. And I know that when we were preparing for this podcast, Ken, I asked you. Um, which players you thought would be the biggest threats that might keep Gordon Hayward or Rudy Gobert home on All-Star Weekend. And you kind of changed the premise on me and said you don't think it's players that are the threat. You think that the process is a threat. So let's talk about that. Yeah, as I looked at the process, and we talked about this a little bit off the air a few weeks ago, the NBA has changed the whole setup of this. So backcourt – the, the the coaches each have to submit a vote with two backcourt players, two front court play, th- three front court players, sorry, and two wild card players that can come from any position. The coaches can also basically fudge on positions if they want to. They don't have to pick. They could say, um, for example, that a wing player was a backcourt player, even if that's not when he normally where he normally plays. They don't, and they can pick three centers. They don't have to pick a center and two forwards, kind of the traditional method. What you and I talked about previously was it's kind of screwy because the way the game is played these days, it's kind of more like there are two bigs, two wings, and a point on the floor. And so a guy, it splits up your wings because Gordon Hayward is basically recognized as a front court player, <clears throat> but his skills are more like the guys at the back court players. So he's not going up against them. He's more lined up against DeMarcus Cousins, Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Jordan, and Marc Gasol, as well as a couple other names. So it it messes with it a little bit. And then there's also, you know, you just wonder how many of these coaches are doing the votes, how many of them, as I've heard in the past, are passing it off to a guy in their PR department to come up with that for them because they don't want to either bother or don't want to insult people or, or the be ass- perceived as or the assistant or the or the video guy or Yeah. You know. Right. I hear you. Yeah. I've specifically heard in the past a PR guy, and I don't remember the team or what year it was, but that the coach handed it off to one of the guys in the PR department to pick it. So, um, hey, what do you have? Time ago, what do you have against PR guys? I got nothing against PR guys, but I just think if the coaches are supposed to vote, then you know we're, we're presuming that somebody with that kind of a basketball mentality is doing it. I'm sure the PR guys—they're close to the teams, they're close to the game. They're just not coaches. I think they're going to look at it a little bit differently than than they might and you know maybe i guess a coach could do this too they might even vote for another guy hoping that if it's a tight race between a guy on their team and a guy on another team if you vote for a third guy then maybe their guy makes it that sort of thing because that looks good for their their pr if their guy makes it yeah a coach could do that too man those soulless pr people i tell you um (laughs) the joke there is that um this half of the brothers clayton applies his trade in PR day after day. So, um, but at any rate, yeah, I, no, I hear you. I, and, and actually I sort of think that if coaches are making their picks, um, if coaches are really involved in this, I think that bodes well for Hayward because not only do so many coaches talk about Hayward differently now than they did 
two years ago, three years ago, or even last year. Um, but just you can tell, like it's evident in the way teams play the Jazz that coaches think about Hayward in a more central way. Um, you know, the way that they scheme to Hayward is a lot similar to the way that they scheme for other like legit superstars. So I don't think they view Hayward as this cute 18, five and four guy anymore. Like I think that Hayward has the respect of coaches, but to your point, so do a lot of other front court players. Um, the ones you named, I was thinking Carl Anthony Towns as well, um, who might make it even though it's just his second year, just because of just on a skill standpoint, um, so, so I don't know. I, I mean, to your point, the, the coaches don't necessarily have to put him on the front court part of the ballot. Um, Mark Stein of ESPN had this to say in his, um, his reserves column in which, by the way, he picked both Hayward and Rudy Gobert. He says, coaches are explicitly told as part of the voting process that the position at which a player is listed on the all-star ballot should have no bearing on your vote. Each coach is encouraged, per ballot instructions, to vote for players, quote, at the position he thinks is most advantageous for the all-star team and not necessarily the one he plays most often during the season, end quote. So if most coaches look at it like, hey, Gordon Hayward is a wing. He plays wing minutes. You know, sometimes it's next to Alec Burks. Sometimes it's next to Joe Ingles. Sometimes it's next to Joe Johnson. Gordon Hayward is a wing then maybe he picks up a few extra votes in the in the guard category. I don't know. Well, that yeah. that'll be an interesting one. And he actually is the only <laughs> wing in kind of that most likely list of names for what we would call front court players. All of the rest of the front court players that are likely to get votes from the coaches or most likely I should say, they're all they're all bigs. He's the only wing in that in that group because there are already two wings kind of basically in the starting lineup uh, although you could, you know, Durant's long enough to kind of go wherever he wants. Yeah. The other thing I noticed too, because we talk about the coaches, and I do think you're right that Gordon has a certain respect amongst the coaches that he didn't have before. But I also noticed another thing. If you look at his split stats, they're not bad, but he has slightly lower, lower numbers against the Western Conference than he does against the Eastern Conference. So the Western Conference voters. Uh, coaches are the ones voting for him. Does that come into play at all? It doesn't make a huge difference, but it does. It, it He has had lower statistics against the Western Conference teams. Well, I'm going to chicken and egg you there because th- that either could be, you know, like that could cause the coaches to think differently or the fact that coaches already think differently about Gordon might be the reason why he has lower numbers against the West. I mean, we've seen some yeah. aggressive trapping. We've seen... Um, you know, Gordon Hayward sees multiple defenders now, the way that teams throw multiple different style of defenders at LeBron James. And, you know, please, no, don't at me. I'm not comparing LeBron James to Gordon Hayward. I'm just saying he's getting some of those defensive treatments. Um, and and maybe that's actually playing into why um, his numbers are lower against the West. I, I think, and this is anecdotal, and I have no way to, to compare this, you know, the effect that this has on Gordon versus the effect that this has on clay or Dame or Mike Conley or anybody else in the race. But, um, but I, I just, I think that Gordon night in and night out coaches are voting with their defensive schemes. They're voting with the way that they account for Hayward. And by the way, they also definitely have to game plan for Rudy, but it's a different game plan because really you're taught with Rudy. It's a question of how are we going to approach things on the other end? Because there's this guy that impacts everything we, we have to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, and I think you're right. I think when we end up, you know, if we take a minute to look for what the media has been projecting, I think the coaches will probably be more likely to give even a little more respect to Hayward and maybe a little less to some of these guys when we, when we dig in in a minute and look at who, who might be selected by the coaches. Well, let's dig in. I, I mean, I know you've okay. done, I know you've kind of compiled some things as, as different um, media members have been um, issuing their prediction. I don't, uh, you know, I think some of them write, write it from a standpoint of predictions, what they think the coaches are going to do. Others write it from a standpoint of what they think the coaches should do. And it's more of an analysis or a prescriptive thing. But what are you seeing from the punditry about the all-star reserves? Well, I'll kind of do this by position as well. Obviously, and I don't think this surprises anybody. Some people even you know, would say he was a, a snub. Uh, Russell Westbrook is going to be a backcourt player. No questions asked. Yep. Um, it's funny that he might. Some consider him a snub behind Stephon Curry because that's uh, – Stephen Curry, sorry. Uh, because uh, obviously Curry is a, a big name in the game right now. But uh, so Westbrook's going to be there. It sounds more and more like, as I, well, if the media guys are plugged in at all, or whether this is their opinion or the coaches' opinions, but if they're plugged in at all, it sounds more and more likely that Chris Paul probably will get voted in, even though everybody knows he won't play. Yeah, I, I um, think that'll happen. A, yeah, I, I, I think that's that'll... a backcourt player, a wild card. He's probably going to get enough votes to be on the team. Yeah, and honestly, I kind of think he should. I mean, because we use all star selections to measure a lot of different things about a player's legacy. I think when a guy has been that good through 40 games and then something happens to him in January, I think go ahead and throw him that recognition so that when we look back on his career, we say, you know, whatever, 13-time All-Star instead of 12-time All-Star by the time it's all said and done. Um, Because because someone else will still get that spot. They'll still get selected by the commissioner to participate in the All-Star game. So I, I agree with you. I think Russ and CP3 are probably the easiest picks from a backcourt perspective. Yeah. So I'm going to guess that some of these, in fact, well, in many cases, I know there's another backcourt player, but probably more as a wild card vote is how it's being projected or portrayed in the media. Is I, I would have thought maybe not, but it looks like Clay Thompson is probably going to be in too. At least if these eight guys are an indication, seven of them put them on his team. Okay. Your, your reaction, does he belong there? Does he not belong there? And and believe me, he will directly affect, or he could directly affect Gordon Hayward's ability to get on the team. Yeah, I mean, look, Clay Thompson is an all-star caliber player. Gordon Hayward is an all-star yeah. caliber player. At the end of the day, there are more than 12 all-star caliber players in the Western Conference. Um, I think, you know, for Clay... So I I have I have no problem if he goes. I have problems with some of the arguments that people are using to justify putting him there. For example, um, I think it was actually Stein that I read today who basically said, you know, should Golden State get a fourth All Star? I think he's assuming that Draymond will get one of the front court spots. Um, and and his own his answer to his own rhetorical question was, well, did you see the Cavs play last week? And I just think that that kind of stuff is kind of anecdotal and doesn't really you know pass muster for me because you know did you watch all 30 teams play last play last week did you watch all 450 NBA you know what I mean like I just don't think that you use like oh hey the Warriors are the Warriors were really good when I saw them a couple times last week to justify um you know not not just validating Clay's season 
to that extent, but really devalidating someone else's um, because you're giving that spot. So, I mean, again, I think I think it's fine. I think he probably belongs. He had a slow start, and then he kind of broke out of that slump with the 50-point or the 60-point game or whatever it was. Um, and since then, he's been playing mostly pretty well. Um, you know, he's a he's a third, sometimes fourth option for them, but that's fine. Um, I just, if we're going to put him there, I think the reasons should be the right ones, not just, oh, holy crap, the Golden State Warriors are so fun to watch and so popular and their record is so good that they have to have a fourth. That That one just doesn't fly for me. Yeah, no, I would agree. So those are the three backcourt spots that, according to my little unofficial, unscientific poll, seem fairly sad again. Clay Thompson, seven out of eight. You mentioned Mark Stein. He he went with Clay Thompson and Gordon Hayward as his two wild card spots. So they were very much linked. Although if it went a different way with a different voter and specifically with a coach, you know, they could come down to one wild card spot that has to be shared between those two. And then where does it go? Yeah. Uh, when we go to the front court guys, there are two guys that seem to be unanimous. Um, I saw some tweets from you the other day, and I, I, I think this will rankle you a little bit, but I think it, it presumably is going to happen. DeMarcus Cousins is going to get in. He's unanimous among these eight voters. And Draymond Green, which surprised me a little bit. I Did I know he might get in? Absolutely. I'm a little surprised that all eight people are putting him in there. Um, all eight of these voters are putting him in there as a front court player. In fact, in all cases, as a front court player, never as a wild card. And in one case, I had to kind of fudge it a little bit because they had already assumed he would be a starter. And when Davis got that spot, uh, I I put Draymond Green in as a sub on this guy's thing because he had written his article before the starters were announced. Okay. So any comments on Cousins and Green being unanimous front quarters? Um. I get it on both of them. Um, I also, you know, like at, at what point are we going to say um, if you're just a consensus all-star who gets his passport stamped every February to wherever the all-star game is held, no questions asked, then shouldn't your team be doing a little better than I think they're 12 games or 11 games under 500 right now, the Kings? They're 16 and 27. Yeah. So there are 11 games under 500. I've seen games, and again, this is kind of unfair because I'm doing the anecdotal thing I just blasted Stein for. Um, <laughs> there was a game the other night where Boogie thought he got fouled, um, stayed at the other end to complain. It was a tie game. He stayed at the other end to complain, or, or they might have been down a bucket. Point is, it was the final minute of a close game. He stayed at the other end to complain to a referee. His defense, had, his teammates had to play four-on-five defense, and they allowed a bucket and they lost the game. And I'm just thinking to myself, who in the hell calls someone an all-star who just that easily, when something goes wrong? And it wasn't even like a clear foul. Like I honestly, looking at the replay, they could have called it a foul, and like everybody would have slept fine. They also could have not called it a foul. Like it was kind of one of yeah. those where Boogie sought out the contact, whatever. And I don't mean to put too big of a microscope on that one moment. I'm bringing that moment up because I think it's reflective of the larger thing with Boogie, which is he's an immense individual talent, and I'm not sure you can win with him. And his teams have never won more than like 32 games. In his entire NBA career, he has never tasted like win number 33, and I don't even think I'm exaggerating there. Last year was the first year in his career he he made it to 30 wins. So... um. 
you know, again, I get why I get why he's selected. I get why from a personal talent standpoint, so many of these media members consider him an automatic. It does bug me a little bit when I think about what goes into winning basketball games. But let's, you know, my my temper tantrum aside, basically, it sounds like what you're saying is there are, in addition to the five starters, there are five subs who we can just sort of count them in the all-star game one way or another. Um, well, Probably one of them, so. one of them is CP three. So not count him in the game, but count certainly count him in the coaches vote CP three, Russ, Clay, DMC, and Dre, which means there are now two spots left. There will be a third because of CP three's injury. Yeah. Um, but there are two spots left for the coaches and they could go to guys like Mike Conley, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Mark Gasol, Carl Anthony Towns, or they could go to a guy like Gordon or Rudy. Yeah. So the next thing I see when I go down that front court list is six out of eight are going are going with Marc Gasol. My opinion, I you know a month ago it seemed like conventional wisdom he was getting in. I feel like you know looking at his stats, I was a little underwhelmed. Specifically, it's the rebounding. He's a twenty point guy, but he's a six rebound a game, and I kind of was uh, shocked to see that. I don't know that I would consider him a foregone conclusion. And I, so, so we'll see about that one. Um, the one thing that I probably, and this is now getting this really jazz related. The one thing I'm seeing as I read these articles now is more people are kind of seeming to be a foregone conclusion. And even talking about a different guy is the jazz best player than they used to. And, and that's Rudy Gobert. More people are seeing him as him as more of a foregone conclusion to get into the all-star game than they are even Hayward which surprised me a little bit. So to get to those guys, uh, four out of the eight guys I looked at put Rudy in the all-star game as a front court player, not as a wild card. And then only three out of the eight put Hayward in, although one then added him as the injured reserve player when, when obviously CP three can't go. Yeah. I, I actually had this argument with Aaron Hafner earlier today. Um, one of our salt city hoops contributors, um, because I, I get why that's happening, and I think there's a lot of zeitgeist right now around Rudy, and he's kind of the story of the minute and, and a rising star in a really fun way that's capturing a lot of attention. Um, I still just think that when it comes to the coaches voting, they're going to worry less about sort of whose stock is rising the fastest right this moment. And I think that a lot of it for the coaches will come down to like, you know, who keeps me up at night when I'm preparing to play the jazz and look, both guys do. So don't take like th- that is not meant to sound like a slight to Rudy at all. I'm sure that coaches wake up in cold sweats thinking about Rudy Gobert's defense. Um, but you know, I, I, th- my personal thought is the coaches will put Gordon in before they put Rudy. And I think that in terms of the coaches vote, it's either, Gordon or it's both of them. I don't think Rudy makes it alone on the coaches, but I could be wrong. I could be way off on this. We'll find out in a few nights. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm seeing. So, um, so of the guys you mentioned, so you just told me where Rudy and Gordon are. You said Mark was sort of more consensus among the eight. Uh, six six of eight. out of eight. Six of eight have him in. One considers him one of their toughest <clears throat> omissions. And uh, one guy didn't even mention him at all, although okay. he didn't mention who he didn't pick. So, uh, yeah, so he's, you know, that doesn't mean he's in. Um, in fact, the two guys who I'm, who I would put the most stock in, 
as analysts, I would say they went 50-50 on him as well. Who One, one put him in, uh, Stein and Pelton. Okay. See, to, to eight, I had to go with a few chuckleheads just to let you know. Um, and specifically, a guy named Chuck made my poll. Because, <laughs> uh, and, and he put Eric Bledsoe in the game and got mocked roundly um, on the on the broadcast because um, – said i thought you were all about winning and you just put the guy that's playing the worst the team is playing the worst basketball in the league on the all-star team so yeah um i you know i actually yeah i don't know i mean i know that when kevin does his it's it's mostly from an analytics standpoint and it's less about you know a sourced viewpoint about who coaches yeah. are high on so i you know there's that and um I think some of the things that matter to Kevin Pelton matter less to I'm making this up Rick Carlisle or matter less to Earl Watson. Now Earl Watson will probably vote for Gordon Hayward. Cause I think he has a picture of a poster of Gordon Hayward up in his bedroom, but um, <laughs> that's kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of a fact though. I think it's pretty true. No. Um, so are there any of those other guys, Dame, CJ, Cat? Mike Conley, who are, who appear on those eight lists as often as Rudy and Gordon? No, no, they're they're the next guys. Uh, Damian is listed on one. Uh, Conley is on three. He's a backcourt guy from somebody who assumes that they won't vote for Chris Paul. That's on the Stein Stein. The alternative is they vote for Chris Paul, and I think they probably will. So he's probably out and all. Only in as an injured reserve, so he's in there as a as a backcourt if Paul doesn't get the vote, an injured reserve if Paul does get the vote, and then Kenny Smith picked him. Um, so that's Conley. Uh, nobody else. C.J. McCollum. Eric Gordon was mentioned, but he was only mentioned by one writer as an omission. And then I mentioned Eric Bledsoe already because Chuck wanted to get some Phoenix representation in there. Yeah. Uh, among the court guys, now the next the next guy after. Uh, Gordon and Rudy would be uh, DeAndre Jordan got two mentions, you know, two selections out of eight on a team. And there, I do think there will be some, you know, depends on how people look at this. Cause one of the things as you read these articles is people say, well, we can't give Houston just one. We can't give San Antonio just one with their record. We can't have the Clippers unrepresented on the floor. So that's where you do get into this idea of, well, do we have to give it to DeAndre Jordan? Because, the Clippers should have somebody out there. Yeah. You know, I don't think that really works with the coaches, but that's, that's three teams that I kept hearing. There might be in the writers estimations, at least some justification for leaving off a, a Gordon or a Rudy to make sure that somebody else gets two who has a better record. That said, I don't think Eric Gordon really gets him there. Maybe a LaMarcus Saldridge, although not a single one of these eight picked him even though people were still saying maybe we should because San Antonio deserves two. Yeah. Um, no. And, and by the way, a little weak, if that's the only way you get on the team is, is uh, your team deserves two, So we'll give it to this guy who maybe doesn't have quite the stats of another guy. Yeah. I completely agree. Even though one of my like personal favorite human beings, Memo Kerr got his all-star selection that way. It was a year that Carlos Boozer was injured and the commissioner kind of felt beholden to give Boozer's spot to another jazz man. So it went to memo and I was really happy for memo on a personal level, but probably historically speaking, not one of the most solid all-star picks in terms of, um, you know, if you look at that legacy and 
and you know compared to other players that got left on the outside so i agree that's kind of unsatisfying logic to me now full disclosure i have no issues with marcus hole going i think it's another one of those things where you know um counting counting stats be damned i think the best player from a 26 and 20 team especially a 26 and 20 team that doesn't have a single player on its roster that's been healthy for every game um you know, Mark has only missed two games and he has really carried them and has them not just still in the playoff mix, but really still kind of at least mathematically and, and feasibly in the race for home court. Um, so I have no problem with Mark. That said, I would be kind of offended on behalf of basketball fans if Mike Conley got it just because, and I, and I know that Gordon Hayward missed seven games. Mike Conley's only missed 12 there's not a that big a difference between seven and 12, but I mean, come on, like at some point when you've missed more than a quarter of your team's games, like, I I, I don't know. And, and Mike Conley, you know, the year he's having, it, it's fine. 19 and six, six assists. Um, he's having one of his best years from three. Like he's doing a lot of good things. I just think if 19 and six gets you in. And by the way, Stein's logic for including him was, well, he just signed that contract. It was the largest contract in NBA history. He has to go. (laughs) And again, like if we're going to put guys in and tell other guys, they have to stay home that weekend. Not that any of them will stay home. So when I say stay home, what I really mean is stay on the beach in Cancun, go to the Bahamas. Yeah, exactly. If we're going to, if we're going to tell um, Gordon and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum that they have to go that they have to go to the Bahamas instead of going to New Orleans. Let's at least do it for reasons that sound right and not just you know based on who signed what contract. I think that's a terrible reason. Um, First, maybe maybe he was joking. I don't mean to blast um, Mark Stein, but yeah. So all right. So let's just let's back let's go back out to kind of the macro view here. Um, Russ Clay, DMC, Dre, those four are in. We've got three spots left, and we're gonna let's go ahead and let's go ahead and use CP3's spot now, even though the coaches may not. I mean, you know, the coaches will probably give that spot to CP3 and then let the commissioner worry about it. But let's you and I do the work as though CP3's off the um, off the menu. We got three spots left. It's Conley, it's Dame, it's CJ, it's Mark, it's Cat, DeAndre Jordan, Lamarcus Aldridge, Blake. We haven't talked about Blake probably because he's missed too many games for a lot of voters, but let's throw that yeah. name out there because he's a perennial All Star. And then there's Rudy or Gordon. Where where are you going? You know, three spots out of those guys I just mentioned. Um, and where do you think the coaches will go this Thursday night? All right, that was all pretty fast, but okay. Let, let me. I think my <laughs> so so it's Dame CJ Conley are backcourt players. Um, Mark Cat Blake DJ Lamarcus are frontcourt players, and then the Jazz's guys. Three spots go. Uh, if. If there's a backcourt guy, I think it is, despite what you just said, Conley. I think Dame and CJ have just fallen off the discussion right now. Um, maybe Lillard gets back in there because, uh, you know, he's got the history of being in the game. 
Um, but from, from what I'm seeing right now, he's not really in the discussion. That's the media's discussion, not the coach's discussion. Uh, front, so I'd probably go with Gasol. We had three spots. Yep. I'd say three out of these four. Gasol, well, five. <laughs> I'm really letting <laughs> you pin me down. Okay, Gasol, Hayward, Gobert, Lillard, and Conley as a as a wild card there. Uh, one or the other of those could get in ahead of the first three I said. I don't think Jordan gets in. Towns seems to have fallen completely out of the discussion. And I don't think McCollum is in. Yeah, I agree with you, by the way, on McCollum. Yeah, um, and same with Griffin. I, I think he's been, he hasn't played a game since December 18th. I think, you know, unfortunate for him, but I, I don't think he's, uh, you know, in the discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I honestly, yeah, I think, I think it'll probably be Dame Gordon Mark. Which really what I'm predicting is it'll probably be Gordon and Mark. Dame will probably get the nod um, as a commissioner pick. And then whether Rudy gets in or not, I think it comes down to, does anyone else have to skip the game for health reasons? And, and I know, I know what that's going to buy me from jazz fans, but I, I think that's the way it's looking here. I, I just given everything else we've talked about and the number of players who sound like their shoe ins, um, I'm not sure that the math works for Rudy this time around. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, the only exception could be if, if, you know, the media is still in love, as you mentioned earlier, is still in love with the numbers from DeMarcus cousins. The coaches might have a very different view. Do enough of them have a different view to get a different guy in? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, if we were walking into a gym right now and we had to pick teams for, you know, a game of five on five and like the winner got the keys to the losers cars or whatever high stakes thing you want to put on it. Like if we're pink slips, huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, like I would, I would personally put Rudy Gobert on my team at the Y or more accurately at congregation Beth Elohim. Cause that's where I play my basketball these days. Um, before I would put boogie and, and I don't know, you know, we're about to find out, where the coaches feel. We obviously know how the analyst community feels about it. And, um, and I do think that that's predictive. I think, I think Boogie will be in. And again, on a level, I get it. But just if, in terms of which guy I want in my bunker with me, like, man, really hard to, um, to take someone who just negatively impacts games so often when there's yeah. a guy that's just like pathologically addicted to, to doing winning things, you know? Um, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough yeah. one. No, I think you're probably right, though. I think unless there's a slip on the presumption that Cousins and Green both get in, um, you, you, your guess is as good as any I could throw out there. In fact, it included the same guys I did. I just didn't let you nail me down as hard. Well, we'll uh, find out in a few days here. Um and I, I guess we can, now that we've both been semi-bold, um, and by semi-bold, I mean, you like I asked you to pick three and you gave me like six names, but... Um, I gave you five. Okay, okay. And I, and I figured when you said semi-bold, the semi was referring to me. <laughs> it kind of was. That was a little, pa- a little yeah. passive aggression there. Um, 
yeah, so I, I think we can call that for this week. But just a quick look ahead at what's coming up for the Jazz in addition to the big announcement on Thursday. So the Jazz have the latter half of a four and five night stretch coming up the next two nights. Um, this is Sunday. I don't know when you're listening, friend out there in the cyber world. Um, but the Jazz will play OKC on Monday. Then they will play at Denver on Tuesday, which I honestly I think might be the toughest game of this stretch with all respect to what will probably be an angry Russell Westbrook. I think at Denver on the fourth, you know, the fourth of a four in five, I think is as close to a scheduled loss as it comes, especially with the Nuggets playing better. Anyway, they have those two. Then they have Wednesday off. Then they're back in action on Thursday night. They will play on TNT on national television at home against the Lakers the same night that the all-star reserves are announced, which means it'll be a good opportunity for Gordon Hayward and or Rudy Gobert to either, uh, validate their selections in front of the world or let the world know how unhappy they are. And then Saturday night, they have Memphis at home. So, um, or, a big week. or let the commissioner know that they would be happy to replace Chris Paul for them, for him. Yeah. Hey, commissioner, my phone number is in case you need it. <laughs> all right. Well, Ken, thanks for joining me all the way from, I think, sunny Phoenix. Is it still sunny in Phoenix? I mean, other than the fact that it's nighttime. Uh, no, it's actually been kind of cloudy lately. We only have one sunny day this week. Um, out of our promised 300 days of sun, we had to give, we had to give five of the other kind away this week. So, yeah. um, it's okay though. We're, we're still, uh, we're still pretty happy and a whole lot less snowy and cold than most jazz fans probably are. Um, I'm thinking of the ones in Utah, although you would also probably be included in the snowy and cold category. Not so much snow, but yes, it's been cold here in Brooklyn and to our folks in Salt Lake city, uh, stay warm. It looks like a lot of our Utah friends have been dumped on this last week. So um, stay warm and keep listening to Salt City Hoops. Thanks for joining the Salt City Hoops podcast. Mm-hmm.